God, we love you. When we think about the significance of this day, we are so blessed. For each one of us is a sinful, broken creature. Deserving in the penalty of death, deserving in in eternal punishment, you still love us. And you paid the price upon the cross. And you rose from the dead so that we don't have to suffer. You paid the price that was owed to each one of us. And so as we live our lives and as we sin, God, that comes at a great cost to you. We thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you freely gave yourself for us, that no one took your life from you, but you laid it down willingly so that each of the people in this room could confess you and forever dwell in our Father's house. God, there's so many different people that have come into this place with so many different stories and so many different hearts. And I pray in your name right now that you will give us ears to hear exactly what it is you need us to hear. So speak through my lips right now, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Easter, church. It is a good day indeed to be with you. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and uh, we are just thankful that you're worshiping with us this morning. This is a great day. God loved us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross because we are broken, wretched, and sinful, and he loved us anyway. So just take a moment, I I just like to do this once in a while, look at the person next to you and say, you are disgustingly broken. (laughs) All right? And I want to make sure that we all... Know this kind of going into this this moment. All right, bring it back, bring it back. You are all hideous. And God is good. There it is, there it is. Now it's Easter. God is so good because we are hideous. We are broken. And there's a lot of us in this room that regardless of how broken and hideous we are, we have had a face-to-face encounter with God. And when you have a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Christ, it changes you. Amen, church? Some of you in here this morning completely get that. And I praise God for you. And some of you in here have no idea what I'm talking about. And I praise God for you too. Because I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about this morning. Over the past several weeks, we've been having these face-in-face encounters with Jesus through Pharisees, through, through people who are healed by Christ. And now we come to this morning, an epic moment in the history of forever. On Friday, they, they killed Jesus. They nailed him to the cross. But it's important for us to remember that he was not murdered. He laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. He gave his life up for you and for me. And this morning we can say amen because we know how this story ends. We know that on Sunday afternoon, Jesus gets up and he starts spooking everybody out. You know, he shows up in the room all of a sudden or he appears to them magically. But you see, on the morning of the first Easter, it was not a celebration. Because you see, as Mary came to the tomb to continue in the dressing of the body... When she came to the tomb, 
She found that the stone had been rolled away. Now, you and I know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins. But in this moment in history, all Mary sees is an open grave and a missing body. In her mind, what she's thinking is that it's not bad enough that they have simply killed my Lord and crucified him and mocked him. Now they're dragging his body through the streets. Or, or maybe they've hit him somewhere to mess with us. So Mary, not knowing what else to do, decides to run to the disciples and say, guys, we've got a big problem on our hands. Someone has taken the body of our Lord, and now we can't even give him a decent Jewish burial. Now I want to remind you that John is the author of the book that we're in. And he's the one telling the story. Because there's actually some playful moments in this story that I don't want us to miss because I want to remind each one of us God takes sin very seriously. God loves you, but God enjoys you also. God is sometimes whimsical, isn't he? I mean, he created a personality like mine. He created some of you. God has a sense of humor. (laughs) And you have to suffer for it. Sorry. So here we are in this moment. Mary runs back to the disciples and she, she says to John and to Peter, she says, they've taken his body. And so as men of action that they are, after the fact, they spring into action and they run to the tomb. And this is where God get, gets a little whimsical because John's the writer of this book. And John says that Peter and John set out in a race to get to the tomb. And of course, John, the beloved, gets there first. And so there's this neat little moment that preachers love to talk about of how John points out that he's faster than Peter. It's truth. They get to the grave, and when they look in, they see something fantastic. They see linen just across the floor. The once wrapped body of Jesus is no longer there. A dear old friend of mine that I grew up under is by the name of Dennis Kinlaw. He was the former president of Asbury Seminary. And, and around this time of year, he always tells this story about this craftsman that he hired to come into his home and to work in his, in his study. He talks about how it is just incredible to watch somebody at their trade do what they're designed to do. You know, when we look at Brad and the team up here leading worship, you know that these people were cut to worship God. They're enjoying it, and it's, it's a blessing to watch them do what they do. Do you have those people in your life that are those craftsmen that God created them for a purpose? And, and, it, and it may be like building model kites, or it, it may be building skyscrapers, but when you see them in their element doing what they're created to do, you stand back and you go, that is amazing. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's watching the craftsman do his thing. And Dennis Kinlaw talks about this carpenter that would come to his house and he would watch every day as this carpenter would come in and he would begin to work the tools. He didn't even use sandpaper. He would sand the wood with his hands and he would just do his thing. And at the end of every day, he would wipe his face off with this nasty, gnarly towel and he would throw it down on the tools. And daily, Dennis says that this guy would come back and he would, he would watch as this man would transform something like a dead piece of wood into a beautiful, artistic something awesome. And every day he would take 
that, that gnarly hanky and he would wipe his head or clean up his hands and he would put it down, throw it in a wad. Finally, the last day that the man was there working in his study, he said that he completed what he came to do and he created this beautiful, epic masterpiece. And he said this time, instead of just simply throwing his tools around, he cleaned up after himself. And when he was finished, he took that hanky out of his pocket. He wiped his brow. He neatly folded it, and he put it on the shelf. And he said, my work is done. When the disciples look into the tomb, they don't find a scattered mess. They find linen laying across the preparing place. And they find the head wrap, which they used to wrap the head. They would put a cloth on top and a cloth on the bottom, and then they would wrap the head to keep the mouth closed. They found that cloth, not strewn across the floor, but they found it neatly folded. And I love the way Kinlaw relates it because he says, in this moment, Jesus is saying to us, the masterpiece is finished. Victory. Because the craftsman has completed what he has come to do. Jesus is not in the grave. You and I get that. But in this moment, the disciples still don't understand what's happening. They're confused. They're not sure if maybe Jesus rose from the dead or if he was stolen. But regardless, they know that they're now public enemies. And so they retreat. And they leave Mary Magdalene standing at the grave. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John 20 with me. And a great little exercise for you and your family today, before you eat dinner or after you eat dinner, read through John 20 and 21. Because there's beautiful accounts of the resurrected Christ that will bless your heart and where we're going to be this morning. So in John 20, verse 10, it says these words, Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. Have you ever buried a loved one? Mother, father, child? There's that hard moment when you're standing, the funeral service is over, and you're standing beside the hole in the ground. And for the last time, you say goodbye, but you can't bring yourself to walk away. That's Mary in this moment. This man that loved her, that freed her from demons, is dead. The funeral was a travesty. And now she has to say goodbye. So standing there weeping at the tomb, she bends over and she looks in to say goodbye one last time. And the word tells us, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They had taken my Lord away, she said, or excuse me, they asked her, why are you crying, woman? Because they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. And at this she turned around. And as she turned around, there was a gardener behind her, so she thought. And the gardener asks her this question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? 
Have you ever had pain so bad in your life that you can't see God? Have you ever had a moment in your life where your heart was so broken you didn't even want to see God? Have you had pain in your life that you can't explain, you can't understand, that you thought it was going to work out completely different? You even thought maybe God told you it was going to be different, but now all you're left with is a broken heart and an empty grave? I've had those moments in my life. And you're human. You've had those moments in your life. But I want to tell you, church, in those moments, we cannot be so caught up in our pain that we miss the fact that Jesus Christ is standing right in front of us. Because listen to me, church. He is there in your greatest moment of need. He is there when your heart is broken. She turns around, not realizing it's Jesus. She says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him, blinded by her pain. And Jesus says this profoundly, incredibly theological statement to her. He says, Mary. And when he calls her by name, she recognizes the voice and she sees before her the victorious resurrected king listen to me church i don't care how bad your pain is christ is there with you he is weeping with you he is waiting to embrace you he wants to peel the scales from your eyes so that you can see that you do have victory over death no matter what the circumstances i don't care if it's addiction i don't care if it's a broken marriage i don't care if it's tax evasion whatever it may be God wants to work in you, and he wants to heal that broken heart. And it may not make sense to you at the time, but I promise you this, he has a plan for your life. And it is to have a mended, restored heart. The encounter with Mary ends. And Jesus does not stop appearing to people yet. Because in our next encounter, the disciples have barricaded them in, themselves into a room. They're, 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 they're locked in. I mean, they are zombie apocalypse proof at this point. They have barricaded the doors. They understand that the Romans and that the Jews want to kill them just as they killed Jesus. They are terrified. Some of them have betrayed Christ. And the only thing that they can do now is sit together in an upper room and cry in fear. But the Word of God tells us that Jesus, in a moment, appears to them in that upper room. And I love it because the room is barricaded. I mean, air is not getting into this room. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shows up to most of the disciples and says these hysterical words. Peace be with you. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone who is near and dear to you who was dead, and now you're not sure if they're resurrected or if their body was stolen, if someone from your life is dead and they show up at your house and they say peace with, to you, there's no peace with you. Right? Especially if you're one of these guys that maybe betrayed him. You're thinking, what is going on? And Jesus shows up in a miraculous way and he says, peace to you. I am leaving with you the Holy Spirit and you are going to go out and you are going to do awesome things. Now go to it. And Jesus sends the disciples out to do miraculous things. 
I mean, they are believing. They know that he is who he said he was. They know in this moment, without a shadow of a doubt, that Easter, in fact, is a good day, not a mournful day. And they're excited because Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has told them, you have a mission. But you see, not all the disciples were there. There was this guy named Thomas who followed Jesus around faithfully. But in the heart of Thomas, there were doubts. And broken by his pain, Thomas makes this statement when the other disciples come to him and say, Thomas, Jesus has risen. He says, no, he hasn't. And I'm going to tell you what, until I put my fingers in his wound and put my hands in his side, I don't believe it. You guys are nuts. Have you ever had a moment of doubt in your life, church? Where you just, you wanted to believe in God, you wanted to have faith in God, you've seen him do awesome things, but for some reason now, because of your pain, because of your hurt, You can't believe and you doubt God. Listen to me. God is bigger than your doubts. God can handle your questions. This word of God can handle questions. And it's right for us, if we have doubts, if we have questions, to say, God, I need to know. See, we give doubting Thomas a hard time, but he identified where his heart was And in the same type of zombie apocalypse setting, the disciples are now barricaded in a room. They're hiding from from everybody who wants to hurt them and everybody who wants to kill them. And this time, Thomas is with them. And Thomas is sitting here saying these things when behind him shows Jesus. The disciples are sitting in front of Thomas going, oh my, you should shh. And Thomas is running his mouth. And Jesus says, Thomas, Touch my scar. Feel where the nails were. And doubt no more. I I love Thomas' reaction because it's, oh my God. And I want to assure you, when he says this, he's not taking the Lord's name in vain, but he is making a proclamation that you are my Savior. You are my God. You are my Redeemer. Oh my God, you are alive, you are risen. And I promise you this, there will be one name that we will not call Thomas in heaven, and that will be the doubter. Because in that moment, he believed. Christ will mend your broken heart. Christ will secure your fears. Christ will heal your doubts. The story continues on in John Thomas is now a believer, not sure what Jesus wants him to do. Several of the disciples decide they're going to go back to the life that they knew until they hear from the Lord. And these guys were fishermen, so they they go back to the Sea of Tiberias and they begin to fish. And I love it because when Jesus called some of the first disciples, they were hanging out on the water. They were fishing. They had a terrible day of fishing. And here's this guy from Galilee who is Jesus. He shows up and he says, hey, take me out. I want to give a speech. And afterwards, we'll go fishing. Remember, these are professional fishermen, and the fishing hasn't been good. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, let your nets down on the other side of the water. And when they do that, the first time, they they catch this miraculous catch of fish. Well, a lot has taken place between then and now. The disciples are out fishing again, telling stories, thinking about the time that Jesus did that to them and how great it was when they see a flicker of a coal fire on the shore. It's nighttime. It's dark. It's early in the morning, actually. It's getting light. 
And a voice from the shoreline starts yelling. And the disciples are in their boat. They're having a lousy night of fishing again. And this man from the shore says, Hey, you guys catching anything? No. Well, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And in this beautiful, playful moment, Jesus messes with the disciples. Do you see that? He's reenacting the first time that they met when he said, come follow me. And I love Peter's irrational responses all the time. They're about 100 yards off ashore, the, the word tells us. And, and Peter, instead of helping everybody drag the net of the fish in, because again, they experienced this miraculous catch, Peter ties his clothes around him, jumps in the water, and starts swimming to Jesus. I bet halfway through, he's going, I wish I didn't do this. And when he gets to the shore, Jesus says, come over, I have, I have breakfast for you guys. Why don't you bring some fish? And they laugh, and they encounter Jesus, the resurrected Lord. But there's Peter, who, who while he's excited to see Jesus, I'm sure, in the back of his mind, he's thinking about Good Friday when Jesus told him, he said, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times, Peter. Peter said, never I, Lord, not me, I'm the rock. And sure enough, someone approaches Peter and says, you're that guy that was with Jesus, weren't you? No, leave me alone. And as Jesus is being tried and condemned for a second time, Peter denies Jesus, rejects him. And for a third time, a woman comes or a guy comes to him and says, you are that man that was with Jesus. And he actually cusses her out and says, no, leave me alone. And just as he says that, the rooster crows three times and everything was just as Jesus had said. And the condemned Lord sees Peter in his moment of denial. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever blatantly slapped him in the face by embracing your sin, by embracing your grossness instead of embracing him? Listen to me, church. You and I put Jesus on the cross with our sins. And Peter is feeling that in this moment as Jesus is cooking him breakfast. So Jesus calls him aside and he says, Hey, Peter, come here. Do you love me? Peter says, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Have you ever done something you regretted that you couldn't get back? Something you did in reaction or fear you never meant? Peter's feeling that right now. For a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says this, and feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But where, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
Jesus said to him, Peter, follow me. Three times Peter rejected Jesus. Three times Jesus reinstated him. Listen to me. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care how many times you have sinned. God can forgive it. Jesus can redeem you. He rejected Christ to his face. And he said, follow me. This morning, Jesus is saying to you, I don't care how bad you are, I can fix that. Follow me. Confess your sins to me, and I will fix you. There's something beautiful in these accounts that if you read through them quickly, you can quickly miss it. And I just want to point it out to you this morning. That when Jesus encountered Mary at the tomb, what was it he said to her? He said, Mary. He called her by name. When Thomas was doubting, what did Jesus say to him? Thomas, touch my wounds. When Peter denied him, Jesus said, Peter, follow me. This morning, Christ is calling you by name. And he's saying, I don't care how broken you are. I don't care how many doubts and fears you may have. I I don't care how bad of a sinner you think you are. I can fix that. I will make you whole. I stretched my arms out on the cross for you and I rose from the dead so that you could live with me, free from sin with the Father for eternity. Confess me, Jesus says. You see, when God created the earth, He created this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. And inside of that garden, he created man. And man walked around perfect, made in the image of God, and and communed with God, walked with God. Then Satan came and messed that whole thing up, and he tempted Adam and Eve. God said to them, don't eat from that tree. That's the only rule. Don't eat from that tree. And of course, because we're silly, broken people, Adam and Eve ate from that tree. Sin entered the world and this once pure thing became spotted with grossness. God being perfect, God being light, can have no association with darkness and grossness. In this once relationship where man and God walked together, there was now a void left that man could not achieve that relationship with God unless something changed. As sinners, God said, I still love you and I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate sacrifice. Because you see, a blood sacrifice had to be made made for the forgiveness of sins. And for a long time, people tried to use animals. But if you remember, we're created in the image of God. So an animal was not going to suffice as a sacrifice. It was going to take the thing that we were created in the image of, the very God, very Jesus Christ. It would take the sacrifice of him to cleanse us of our sins. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came with one thing in mind, to be your savior. And when Christ died on that cross and poured out his blood and rose on the third day, he said, I can make you clean. And he brings us together with God so that one day we can forever dwell with him just like we did in the garden. Isn't that good news?
You don't have to live addicted. You don't have to live as a slave to your sin, to your brokenness. But you have a God in heaven who wants to perfect you and make this right. And he's calling you by name this morning. Saying, open the door. I want a relationship with you. Father, we love you. We praise you, God, that as we are all broken and sinful, deserving of death, we praise you that you loved us enough to lay your life down for us and that you encounter each one of us in a unique way. And so as we continue to encounter you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people who maybe need to know you. Maybe there's people in this room that have never confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. My prayer is this morning that they will recognize that you are calling them by name. That they need to just say, Father, forgive me for my sins. Make me whole. Confess to him now. Confess to Christ. Give your life to him. He knows you by name. And he hears me when